Looking Deep is a podcast that seeks to understand varied and unique perspectives about life for our audience and our planet. We operate under the ethos of no judgment, only leaving space for understanding in the hopes that in learning about the lives of others, we uncover a deeper truth for ourselves. Looking Deep is hosted by Kareem Watermore and is followed by an after show featuring Julia Chatwin. Thank you for joining us and let the show begin. Here we are. We have a second part of the podcast with Dr. Tracy. So we'll continue the conversation right now. So I had one more question along those lines of terms of infection and exposure. Is there like a, what's the difference between those two things, those two ideas? So infection is when the virus gets into your cells and exposure is when the virus gets close enough to your cells, like being, or gets around you. So for example, you could imagine that if, you know, I never got the flu, but I was in, you know, the same bed with, and right, you were definitely exposed to virus, right? Now you have two options having been exposed. Either you're going to get an infection or you're not. That's it. (laughs) But you don't have to have an infection if you've been exposed. So exposure is all about just, you've walked out into the sunshine. You were exposed to sunshine. That doesn't automatically mean that you are going to have a sunburn, right? Mm -hmm. And it matters more that you recognize that the exposure to virus is something that happens every day, all of the time, in all kinds of ways. We're exposed to all kinds of microorganisms and potentially infectious agents. And because we have an active immune system that is capable of recognizing foreign material and getting rid of it before we get an actual infection or we have prior experience, which gives us antibodies, and then the immune system takes care of that. So we never get infection. It's only an infection if the virus gets into our cells and starts to replicate. You have to have that whole process. And exposure just is like, you know, it's kind of like the difference between, no, I think sunshine and and sunburn is probably the best way to talk about it. So let's talk about, you know, as we come to a close because we're a half an hour show. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the efficacy of, not efficacy, but the, we'll get to vaccines in a second and we'll close out with that. But I just heard a rumor about the PCR tests and how effective they are. And there was a question that somehow the PCR tests were giving lots of false negatives, which somehow increased the amount of cases that are totaled. And that somehow is wrong. But I guess it seems like a moot point because it doesn't change the death count. So if it was too many people, it increases the death count. That's what I, that's why I infer. So, I mean, we can argue that it does, it's not correct all the time. But if it's not correct and the case is actually lower, the people that have been identified as dying from COVID or as a result of COVID infection has gone up. So can you talk about that a little bit for me? Sure. So the PCR test is incredibly sensitive. Mm-hmm. And it's so sensitive, in fact, that the, I think it's the WHO and the CDC have both changed their guidelines for when to call a positive test positive, how many cycles they would go through. And that's a different conversation. But nevertheless, this is an extremely sensitive test. It is very, very accurate if you are showing symptoms and you test positive. The correlation there is nearly 98%. So if you have symptoms and you get a test, the likelihood of a positive test in you having COVID is so, so high. So somebody who's ill and they test positive, we're, I'm pretty sure 
98% sure based on the test, that test is accurate. Where the test fails is that if you are testing negative and you have a lot of people in the background that are negative, then you can have a lot of variance. The people who are truly negative, they will have a lot more variance in whether the test is positive or negative. Like I said, the test is really sensitive. So with a lot of, lot of negative people in the population, the test can be less good at identifying those individuals who are truly negative. So it's really good if you're ill and you test positive, boom, that's good. And so I think that's important to recognize. But like you said, it doesn't change the number of people who are dying. And it's important to recognize that we will figure out the number of individuals who were actually infected. And that's going to come through forensic testing over the next several years. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So let's start to, uh, so now we have a vaccine. We have several vaccines that are being tested and uh, some that are in use. Can you tell me when someone says the efficacy of a vaccine, what does that mean? Well, so the vaccine has been tested in clinical trials. The way the trials were set up was that they, they got 45,000 people, split them into two groups and vaccinated one group and didn't vaccinate the other group. Now, nobody knows who has what. And so this group of people were then just let loose into the world. And they behaved the way that they would normally behave. They wore masks or didn't. They went to the store or didn't. They sheltered in place or didn't. They just behave like the rest of us. They are to be representative of our population. Then as people started to get ill with COVID-19 and showing symptoms, they unblinded those individuals. And what that meant is they figured out, did you get the vaccine or not? And let's say this is not exactly true because the math is a little bit different, but it's easy to sort of conceptualize this way. If 100 people got sick, 95 of those people did not get the vaccine and five of them did. Now, like I said, the math on that is a little bit, I'm fudging a little bit just because it's easier to conceptualize. But nevertheless, that's what we mean by efficacy. Now, that does not tell us anything about whether or not the virus is being prevented from transmission because we don't know how many of those people were asymptomatic infections or how many of them, you know, didn't get the vaccine or and didn't get disease. And so it doesn't test all of them. It only looks at illness. So Scientists can only say that the vaccine is 95% effective at preventing disease, not necessarily preventing infection. Now, assuredly, absolutely assuredly, this vaccine is preventing infection. We just don't know to what level, and we don't know what percentage that is. We don't know if it's 80% or 85 or whatever. And the reason we don't know is because the only way to truly test the efficacy against transmission is to give somebody, to take two groups, gives half of a vaccine and half of them not, and then give everyone live virus as a challenge Mm. and then see how many get sick. That is not an ethical experiment. So we're not going to do that. We have to do some retrospective and observational studies to see if we can say something about transmission. And there are very smart mathematicians and statisticians who are probably working on that. But experimentally, the challenge experiment doesn't happen very often. Now, I saw a documentary about the AstraZeneca vaccine 
and they talked about doing a small limited challenge experiment to show transmission effectiveness. And I haven't heard anything since that, and I haven't read anything about it. So I don't know if they dropped it in the, you know, in the race to get everything out in the open, but it is a very delicate and fraught experiment. Yeah. And how do vaccines work? They work just like the virus works, except it's just part of the virus. So the idea is to get your immune system to do exactly what it would do if it ran into the virus, except don't give it the whole virus because the whole virus is tricksy. The whole virus is going to figure out a way around your immune system. Whereas if we give part of it, it's like the immune system sees it, says, oh, that's not me, makes an immune response. And then when the whole virus comes in, the immune system is already primed to understand what that is and to fight it off before you get an infection. So in that way, the vaccine is simply triggers the immune system without causing disease. That's the whole point. Can you get an immune response without getting a disease associated with it? And there seems to be distrust about vaccines in particular. I guess some have an historical, not even a historical context, but maybe a historical mistrust of the medical community because of sometimes inherent biases that have existed through history. But also, which is another conversation, which is we can have on another show, but that is real and worth considering. But also there's a mistrust that I've heard because of the speed of which the vaccine was created, that there may have been some steps that overlooked. Is there any weight to that? No, there's no weight. No, none of the steps were skipped. The best way to think about this is that vaccine, people who make vaccines, big pharma or whomever is going to make a vaccine, they're only going to pour in as much money, time and resources as they, you know, as approvals are working. In other words, they're not going to plan out and spend billions of dollars to get an entire clinical trial set up without the approval of the FDA and without knowing that they were going to be able to sell these vaccine doses at the end. These companies were basically told from the very beginning, we'll buy whatever you make. Here's our money, take our money. And so the government essentially paid for all of these doses ahead of time, giving the vaccine companies enough capital so that they could start recruiting for phase three clinical trials even before they had approval. So they had done all of the internal work. They developed the vaccine, which by the way, mRNA vaccines from finding the sequence to development is a matter of weeks, not months or years, because development's very fast. We knew exactly what protein was important because we had had SARS in 2003, had been working on that. So we knew what sequences were important. All they had to do was figure out how to manufacture them and scale them. And so they started testing them and they test them in animals first. That seemed to go well. Then they test for safety. They showed that these were safe. Then they test in a smaller group, and then they test in the larger group. And they did all of those things, not in sequence with a lot of time in between with approval. They basically set up the safety experiment or the safety trial. And as soon as that was in play, they were already recruiting for phase three clinical trials while they're in safety. And as soon as the safety was shown, they gave the paperwork to the FDA. The FDA says, okay. And they immediately could start this phase two, phase three clinical trials because they had done all the recruiting, all of the manufacturing, everything was ready to go. So as soon as they got approval, they were able to just jump into the trial. And the trials only take two months, according to the FDA. You only need to show the side effects of a vaccine for two months because all of the side effects of a vaccine are going to happen within a couple of weeks. So everything that's going to happen is going to happen in a very short time frame. 
And the FDA says, do two months, and they did. And that's why we have the vaccine so quickly. All of those steps were overlapped, not skipped. Okay, fantastic. That's very clear now that you explained it that way. And so we have some new strains. <laughs> what does this mean for us? Does it mean like we have another year of lockdown or what's going on? <laughs> so the new strains are not a surprise. This virus is evolving in our population because that's what viruses do. They evolve as they replicate. These new strains are actually predicted in that is that we're going to see these changes and these viruses are going to be more infectious. And the more infectious the virus, the more successful it is, which means it's going to increase in the population. That's what we're seeing. So the South African strain and the UK strain are increasing in the population because they can get more viruses into cells to cause infection. That's all that is. So that infectiousness is all about, you know, increasing the viral load, if you want to think of it that way. So not unexpected. And if you look at the disease profile, in other words, when somebody gets infected, does that change whether or not they die or don't die? That isn't different. But because there's more people infected, the death number will go up, although the death rate doesn't change. The South African strain is a little bit different in that it seems to have a slightly different disease profile. It looks like they're shifting, like younger people are getting more ill with South African strain because there's more changes in that strain. Now, as it relates to the vaccine efficacy, they've already done a study on the UK strain and shown that antibodies made to the vaccine will be neutralizing and protect mm -hmm. against the UK strain. And that is most likely true, although I haven't seen the data, it is most likely true for the South African strain. It just might not be 95% protective. Maybe the number will be somewhere you know, lower than that, maybe 85% or something. So that's just a guess. But the reason that the South African strain has a slightly, is more worrisome in that regard is because there are more changes to the virus, to the South African strain than there are in the UK strain. So there are more differences, which means that the immune system has fewer of the same targets. So you could think about, let's say that the vaccine has 100 targets and the normal strain. And then if you look at the UK strain, now instead of 100 targets, you have 99 targets. And in the South African strain, instead of 100 targets, maybe now you have 87 targets. So it's just a matter of how many of the natural, how many like of the same targets do you have between the normal virus and where the vaccine was made and these other variants. But because the mRNA vaccines are so easy to develop, it will take them no time. In fact, we're talking, of, and they say from the moment they know that there is a variant mm -hmm. to getting vaccines produced and into people's arms is six weeks. Wow. So, so we're not looking at, oh, we're going to be in lockdown forever. It's, okay, we'll just get a new formulation of the vaccine and we'll add it to the one that we have. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. So my last question, and then I have some questions for you, is are you hopeful? Oh, yeah. There's a light Yeah, I am. I am. Um, I actually was never discouraged. And I think the reason for that is, is recognizing how hard everybody was working towards vaccines and how public health was trying to navigate, you know, keeping everyone safe. I think the biggest discouragement I had over the last year was just the resistance by individuals to wearing masks or behaving in a way that would protect other people and the callousness 
with which people talked about the people who had died and dismissing the deaths of, you know, 400,000 plus Americans and hundreds of thousands of more people worldwide. It just, that level of self-absorption was really difficult for me to swallow. So I was discouraged in humanity there for a bit, but I wasn't discouraged scientifically or, you know, from the standpoint of public health. I just was less, I was less impressed with my fellow man there for a bit. Hmm. I think I can share that sentiment. And was that an impetus for you to find a public space where you can uh, share information with people? Is that part of the inspiration? Yeah, actually it was. So I have been on TikTok since July and I have a personal channel and it talks about my life and it's, you know, it's very wrenching and whatever. Anyway, in that space, I read somewhere that 42% of Americans were uninterested in getting the vaccine and I was shocked. And so I did a little video and I was like, what the heck is going on? Why are you shocked about like, why aren't you interested in the vaccine? That doesn't make any sense to me. Aren't we tired of lockdown? Like, What's going on? So I made this video on this other channel and it, it got a lot of comments. And in those comments, I realized that one, people were just absolutely terrified of the vaccine. And two, it was because they didn't understand the biology of either the virus or the immune system. And I thought, you know what? This is what I do for a living. This is a space that I can continue to explain just the biology, just not get involved in the politics, not get involved in the, in the anti-masker, vaxxer space, just explain how biology works. And so I had to, I was doing it on my other channel for a while and it just got too confusing. So I made a new channel so that I could separate out my content and it has been really successful. And I have been blessed with 200,000 followers and being able to make a video that a lot of people see and watching the change in how people respond in my comment section has been really gratifying. Watching people be less and less afraid has been incredibly gratifying to me. Yeah. Well, I thank you. It's been really helpful to me. I mean, I, it was a very tricky time and I'm not, I'm an artist. <laughs> so I don't come from a science background, even though I'm working on a, a documentary that's in the medical world, merging medical and, and art and producing a film about that. But yeah, but it's been really helpful. It's been really helpful to, because there's a lot of misinformation um, floating around. And I have been sensitive to misinformation because I have two children and I'm my first child was born three years ago. Uh, she's going to be three in April. And when she was born, we were really sort of bombarded with information about not getting a vaccine. And I really, I really thought long and hard about it. I was like, oh my God, because the way the information is presented is, feels sound. And then you think about it and you're like, okay, what is the bigger scope? Like what else are the people publishing? What are their position on other things? And what does my doctor say? And what does the science say? And I was vaccinated and I feel fine. <laughs> so, Well, so. it's an interesting space. And, and just to touch on that for a moment, the reason that, that anti-vaccine campaigns work is because they pick out the exceptions or they pick out stories that are heart-wrenching. And it's, you know, we focused in on autism early on because that's something we didn't understand. And it seemed to be around the same time and it was coincident and everybody got excited. There was a fraudulent study. So it started us down this path of being anti-vaccine just, you know, as a movement. But 
what's important is that the way that our brain likes to think and what is, you know, what is the self-preservation mode for our brain is to be hypervigilant to those things that are unique and sort of extraordinary in our lives. So the exceptions, we're always looking for the exceptions and the exceptions that look like they could hurt us are really powerful and they delve deep into our brain and they become part of our emotional selves. And it's really hard to move that information into the front of our brain and use our logic and our reason and our rationale because we just, it's like, but what if, but what if, but what if, and that's being played. And by the way, that's being played in not just in the vaccine world, but everywhere. That idea that our brain, our emotional brain likes to hold on to those exceptions, those stories, and those stories that are going to cause fear. So any sort of fear mongering, any sort of well, this is going to blow up and they're going to loot and they're going to do this other thing. You know, it just that level of picking out the exception and making it something that is fearful delves right into the heart of our emotional brain. And it's really hard to combat that with rational thought. Mm, Thank you. Well, thank you. I think that's, it was a very great conversation. Thank you for being my guest on Looking Deep. I will send you an email when the show goes live. It'll be probably a month from now, but I am so glad that you took my invitation to talk. Looking Deep has been mostly personal interviews, but I thought that it was very important for us to do something with a scientist that can really help really share information that's really valuable. And how can people find you if they want to? So on TikTok, I'm SciTime with Tracy, which is S-C-I with uh, Time with Tracy. So it's just me hanging out and just it's me talking like this you know for a minute at a time it's a lot easier to digest (laughs) yeah great and thank you so much thank you dr tracy no thank you very much this is nice have a great day i know it's early (laughs) for you take it Thank you for listening to our podcast, Looking Deep. For more resources, please check out our website for our show notes for this episode. Coming up, our after show, Looking Deeper, will begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Looking Deeper, a podcast that we talk about the issues and the concerns are brought up in our main podcast, Looking Deep. I'm joined again by my fabulous co-host, Miss Julia Chatwin. Hey, Julia. Hey, hey, how's it going? It's going really good. It's going really good. We had like a two-parter this, this week. Yeah. Crazy, yeah. isn't it? It's important stuff, you know, we can't, we don't want to condense it too much and lose too many details. It's yeah. better to do a two-parter, get all the juicy deets uh, in. You know, it wasn't, it was a lot of juicy deets. It's not our usual type of podcast where we, we're not always so issue-oriented in terms of, you know, our stars are usually personal. But I think, you know, beyond our working relationship, we have a friendship and we've all talked about misconceptions that we've had during the pandemic and how, you know, science has somehow been under attack. And yeah. you know, sometimes it's understandable because of the legacy of some some things 
and a misunderstanding of how science truly works. Um, yeah. And I thought it was important to present people with, with some information from an actual scientist themselves. I agree, especially because a lot of the times, and I think one of the reasons there's so much confusion about the pandemic and the virus and all that is because a lot of the time we end up getting our news from, from news sites and, you know, they're science journalists interpreting what the scientists tell them and then telling us. And then, you know, we end up getting a lot of miscommunications and sometimes like one article contradicts another one. So which one is true? And it's difficult to get all your stuff just from an Associated Press article or a Washington Post article, right? Like sometimes it's good to actually speak to a professional and get the information kind of straight out the horse's mouth, you know? I agree. I totally agree. You know, I think that the best way we can do is try to have an unvarnished view. A lot of the information, and I think some of viewers may feel that they've known before, but we just wanted to sort of get from the beginning and graduate to where we are with vaccines, yeah. um, which I thought was really good. One thing that Dr. Tracy mentioned was the fact that she is optimistic for the future. Um, right. I thought that was very, very good because I think we're coming up on a year that we've been you know, locked in the house that uh, we've been working remotely and we haven't been able to, to, to work closely together. So I thought that was pretty good. It's reassuring to see a professional, you know, say, you know what, you know, it's going to be okay. And you're like, really? You know, cause it feels like it's going to last forever. Like, mm-hmm. does anybody remember what outside feels like? I know. And I have to say that the most important thing that I want people to take away from is that I'm not, I get really upset when people put things about, give people medical advice on social media. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's irresponsible. I think it's arrogant. And I think it's dumb. I don't mean to judge, yeah. but that's what I think. And so by no means are we telling you what to do with your health. That's something that's between you and your doctor, but we're just mm-hmm. presenting some information available to yeah. you. To help you, maybe whatever choice you make, to help it be an informed choice. Yes. Yes. But please consult your doctor as yeah. well. And do your own research. And, yeah. and and think about research is like, if you were researching from a, a journal that also posts political views, then you may want to rethink yeah. your information. You might be a biased view of the information. But there's always going to be a mildly biased view no matter what, but when it's like heavily biased, yeah. you have a problem. Right? Yeah, because everything has bias, right? It's mm-hmm. like, but it's up to us to sort of use our critical brain yeah. to sort of sift through what's real and what's not. And also making sure that you are sort of in a community of people that you can refer to, whether it's your physician or a friend of yours or a partner of yours that actually works in science, in medicine, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another thing that I was glad she cleared up in one of the, I don't know how it falls. I don't know if people listen to both or they just listen to one and it was enough. But she did talk about what came up in one of uh, my social media, sort of one of my Facebook feeds about the reversal on masks and how in the beginning... People were saying that masks were not good. And now they're saying that everybody should wear a mask. And it seemed like a reversal, which in reality, it wasn't a reversal at all. Would you, Claire, what did you glean from that? 
Well, I gleaned that there, like, there were reasons. So there's the effectiveness of masks, right, which has not changed. It's always been the same. But in the beginning, the recommendation was for the general population. I mean, I might be getting things confused here, but for the general population, not to wear masks because there weren't enough masks for professionals and people who need them, say people who have a lower immunity or whatever, like they needed the masks. So the general population shouldn't go out buying medical masks and wearing them to the store. But then they realized, you know, it does curb spread and production of PPE was increased, right? So then there were enough masks to open that recommendation up to the public. Yeah. Yeah. It was really great to hear that because I, I just recently saw people like, we don't know what to trust where they said not to wear masks. Now they're telling us to wear masks. Nobody knows what's real anymore. <laughs> you know, that type yeah. of fire in the market thing. And yeah. what we didn't touch on it, when we got into the vaccines and people willingness to take the vaccines, I do, everything has a history, right? And our history is what brings us to this point. Right. And so, you know, in certain communities and communities of native communities and African and Afro-American, Afro-Caribbean communities, there could be a sentiment of distrust for vaccines and for viruses because of yeah. historical context. Yeah. That is valid and, and, you know, should be talked about, but we yes. didn't, it's such a big topic. We didn't talk about it in this episode because it's just another, it's another thing on its own. But I do think that it's important to acknowledge that and acknowledge that as a real, not that it's happening, but something that has happened. Because if you can't acknowledge what has happened, then that, then that discourages a lot of distrust yeah. for where we are. So, you know, I just wanted to reiterate that I was not leaving it out intentionally, the history, mm-hmm. of, not really of vaccines that per se, but medical bias that exists. And also, yeah. you know, obviously what the experimentation that happened to, you know, yeah. black and brown bodies that we Tuskegee had medical advancement. Right. Like the Tuskegee experiments where they would just like infect people with syphilis and not tell them what was happening and then not give them treatment. Even though treatment was available, they just specifically didn't tell the people in the experiment that they were sick or give them treatment or anything. And it was, it was obviously to do with like not respecting those people based on their race. Right. And so it is very difficult for a person who comes from a community with that kind of history to then go around, no, doctors are great. It absolutely is. And, you know, there have been instances of like, for example, vaccination efforts in some countries in Africa where um, they just didn't do their due diligence trying to figure out if the vaccine was safe enough yet or not. They figured, hey, whatever, you know, and they didn't do their due diligence. And they ended up with a bunch of people with different types of vaccine injuries, right? And um, that's not necessarily because like the company is a nefarious company. It's because they didn't take the time to evaluate their own product or to care enough about the community that they were serving to make sure that that community got a safe product, right? But, and while these things are really big issues, like we have to find a way to navigate acknowledging them and still understanding that that may or may not be relevant and likely is not relevant in the question of the pandemic, but it's still very relevant in the question of why would they want to trust 
medical companies or doctors or anybody yeah. like that. Maybe I wouldn't if I were in that position. Yeah. So it's just to acknowledge it. I do believe the vaccines are safe. I think yeah. we both Yeah, do. no, so do I. But I understand why some people might not. We both do. But to ignore that history would be foolish in terms of convincing people uh, yes. otherwise. And so from yeah. that level of understanding. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm looking forward to making my choice, whatever my choice is going to be. <laughs> I don't know what your choice is going to be. You don't have to say. I'm not going to tell people what to do, but we just wanted to present the information and put it out there because there was just so much bad information out there. Do you remember the 5G? You remember people thought 5G I, was giving people coronavirus? Like, does that make any goddamn sense? <laughs> yes. Or even the people who were terrified that they were going to get microchipped, right? Yeah. Which is really funny because like when you have animals, right, you often get them microchipped. And to get them microchipped is like a whole thing because it's like, it might even be a small chip, but it's like this giant needle to put it in. It's not an easy procedure. It's painful. It would never slip into your blood vessels just like unnoticed. But people were thinking the government is trying to like, you know, mind control them with a chip or track them wherever they go with a chip. And I, to that I say, well, okay, sent from your iPhone, huh? They're, they're already tracking you. <laughs> they don't need to microchip you. But, you know, people will come up with all sorts of like crazy explanations and, you know, as to why there's a pandemic, why there's a vaccine. Is there a nefarious source behind it? No, I think there are a lot of opportunistic companies. You know, some pharmaceutical companies, for example, are very opportunistic. They're like, ooh, perfect, you know, time for us to make some cash. But I don't think that's a universal thing. You know, I don't think that there's a nefarious plot to... Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit ridiculous to me. Yeah. Uh, and Dr. Tracy said something really moving. She's uh, not moving, but like really made me think of it. She's like, we as human beings are trained to focus on the exceptions. You know, that's mm-hmm. what we're trained to do. Yeah. So we always look at the one thing that's the exception of the rule, and we tend to go with that. So what, it's not even to be logic. Like, what's the exceptional thing? And that's what we tend to focus on. And I thought right. that was, oh... Yeah, that's good because we do all, we all have to do critical thinking, you know, like I still have to do it. Like I still have to be like, okay, let me take a step back. Let me see what information is out there. What I don't understand. Let me look and see someone that could explain Mm -hmm. it because it's okay to not understand all of these things. Like it's hard for me, an artist. I'm not a scientist. I haven't dedicated my life to this. So, you know. I think that's the thing is it's a lot of information. And if your life isn't all about acquiring that information, it sometimes takes a really long time for you to really understand all the details about every part of the situation. Right. And I agree. I think that's a really good point is we are trained to look at exceptions. You know, Uh, people say something like, Oh, I remember like hearing about this thing, you know, like if you're in a relationship and somebody's not showing you their interest and like, they haven't called you in several days and somebody goes, oh, my cousin's friend, that happened to her, and now she's been married for 30 years. And you're like, yeah, but isn't that the exception? The person's never talking to you. Probably it's not going to work out. But people like to focus on the exception, you know, or, or the couple of men who have been cured of HIV, you know, because they got bone marrow transplants. And people are like, but bam, we have the cure. And like scientists and doctors are like, whoa, 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 that was the exception. Like we cannot do this every single time. But like people do focus on what is different than what is the same. What is the same. Well, I think that is it for us. We had a great little mini show. The time goes so fast when I'm talking to you. (laughs) 
Um, I'd like to thank our guests for, you know, sticking on for the after show and also watching our two-parter. It was yes. different for us. We hope, I hope, I don't know, with Julia, that it was illuminating, that it helped you and whatever your decisions are, whether you want to do some more research or whether you think that this is enough. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm always going to keep my eyes peeled for new information coming out because they're always discovering a new thing, right? Discovering new things about variants, discovering new things about certain populations and the response to the virus or whatever. There's always going to be new stuff. So yes, I'm going to continue keeping my eyes open to new information. But I think she really broke down the current information really well. I like the calm way that she went through it. And I think she did it in a way that's very easy to digest, easy to grasp and digest. Agreed. All right. Well, thank you, Julia. I guess we'll see you next week. And we'll see you guys Uh, next week. Keep downloading. Keep subscribing. Uh, Take care, guys. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.